everyone and welcome to this episode of the Provoking Minds podcasts brought to you by KU Professional Learning. My name is Fran Bastian and before I start I'd like to acknowledge the Dharawal people as the traditional owners and custodians on the land on which I am on today. I also acknowledge all those joining us from traditional lands of other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. I'm joined today by Kelly Slip, Director of Isabel Pulsford Preschool. We're delighted to bring you the first of a series of offerings entitled A Story Worth Telling, crafted and narrated by Anne Pellow. Please welcome Anne. Hello, I'm Anne Pellow. In March, I got to spend a morning with the children and the staff at KU Isabel Pulsford. Here's a story from my morning there, a story of an experience that I shared with a small group of children that captivated me and compelled my thinking. I wrote the story because I think it's a story worth telling. As you listen, consider why I might think that and whether you agree. Okay, here's the story. Yune and Dion held their breath through their giggles as they balanced a long wooden block upright on its narrow end. They set a matchbox car on top of the block, and the block toppled over. The two children howled with laughter, practically rolling on the ground. In a minute, they gathered themselves, set the block upright again, placed a car on top, and held their breath, and watched the block wobble. I watched them watch the block, and I thought about bonked heads, and the way that playful palling around can dissolve into tears and anger, and I decided to offer another angle on their work as an invitation to settle into it a bit more deeply. I scooted close to them and made a quick sketch on my clipboard of the block with the car on top. That caught the boys' attention. We exchanged smiles as I commented, I saw you balancing the car on the block, and I wanted to make a note about it. Dion grinned and picked up another matchbox car and stacked it on top of the first car balanced on the block. I smiled and added a second car to my sketch. The block fell over, but no hysterical laughter this time. Instead, Yune set the block back up and Dion set the car on top and then a second car And then Yune added a third car, and I sketched as they stacked. When that tower fell, I offered my clipboard and pen to the two boys. Would you like to draw the work that you're doing? I asked them. Yune declined, but Dion drew a single block standing upright. Then he drew a second one with five cars balanced on top in this wonderfully aspirational flourish. Yune and Dion used that drawing as a template for construction. They set a block upright and put a car on top and were about to add a second one and I could see they were heading for five cars when the block fell. Then, with the block lying flat on the carpet, I seized the opportunity to put a few cars on top of the block's wide surface And then I connected a couple other long blocks to that first block to create a simple square roadway. Yune sociably added a bunch more cars lined up along the road. 
I sketched the cars, and Dion began to drive them around the road. This straightforward, follow-the-road game didn't last long, though. Dion built a blockade in the road. It's a jump, he exclaimed. And with that little addition of complexity, he brought a new dynamism to the game. I added the jump to my sketch of the road, and I tried to capture with my drawing the way that the cars were hurdling over the jump. This interplay of building and driving and drawing had the boys' attention. Dion added another block to the barricade and paused. He waited for me to add that block to my sketch, watching me draw, and then he jumped the blockade with a couple cars. When Dion added a third block to the jump, I offered him my pen. Do you want to add that block on the sketch, too? Ah, he sure did. In fact, he added several blocks to the barricade in the sketch and then added them with real blocks onto the road. And that's how we continued for a solid stretch of the morning, building and sketching, sketching and building. Another child, Blair, came to join Une and Dion, taking on the task of designing infrastructure around the road, like a stoplight, which she built with blocks and then she sketched it. That stoplight inspired a street lamp made out of a mini torch balanced on a stack of blocks. As the roadway grew more complex, the cars continued their round and round commute. Yune did some design drawing. He sketched a road with cars speeding along it in zigzagging lines. And Dion built what he called a hero garage by setting hollow wooden blocks on their tall end and arranging matchbox cars at neat intervals along the top level. Then he sketched the garage. There wasn't lots of play with the cars on the road, not much zooming around the road or driving into and out of the hero garage. The work seemed to me more about designing the setting both with the real materials of blocks and cars and torches and such, and also with the sketches. After someone added an element to the wooden road, she or he turned to me and to my clipboard and pen to be sure we captured that new element on the sketch. The road itself wasn't animated by play, but the design work was certainly animated by the children's intention and by their attention. Eventually, it seemed to me that the children's interest was waning. I asked if they'd done all the work they wanted to do with the blocks and the matchbox cars. Yep, they said they had. So we shuffled the materials into their proper places and went our separate ways. I took the drawings to Kelly's office and made copies of them. I slipped them into sheet protectors and set the collection of sketches for the road designs near the blocks, and then I headed off to do some watercolor painting for a while. Later in the morning, I looked over at the block area and saw a child, Winston, flipping through the drawings. I wandered over to offer him some context. These are designs for roads that Dion and Une and Blair made, I explained. They show some ideas for how to build roads and stoplights and street lamps and jumps and hero garages. Winston didn't hesitate. Let's build them all together, he exclaimed with a whoop. I suggested that he ask Dion and Une to offer some coaching. 
He found Tian, who was nearby, and asked him, "Can you show me how to build the roads?" Dion generously jumped right in, working with Winston. He used the drawings to reconstruct the road and all the infrastructure around it. Blair came back to the blocks too. She designed a super fancy bus stop with a dome and a ladder for people to use to get to a high perch above the road. Now this round of play with the road and the cars took a different shape than the earlier work. Once the road and the hero garage were built, Dion took off. While Winston and Blair and a couple other companions dove deep into a lively, goofy game with the cars, they didn't need anything from me to sustain that game, and so I slipped away. What a treat to hear Anne sharing her story about cars and kids at Isabel Pulsford Preschool. I'm keen now to welcome Kelly into conversation about Anne's story. So, Kelly. Why is this a story worth telling? This is a story worth telling because of its ordinariness, because every day in every centre, in every block area, this is the type of play that happens. It's not a story worth telling because something incredible happened, but because Anne connected with the children in a way that was authentic, meaningful, and engaging. At its core, I guess this story is about children's ideas and experimentation using blocks in the area of engineering and design. But I think, as an educator, this is a story worth telling because it clearly demonstrates the use of the thinking lens. It brings forth the story about being human, about sharing ideas, listening to, and valuing each other. It communicates how the documenting of children's work. Is a powerful tool for exploring their ideas and theories. That says to the children, "I'm here, I'm listening, I'm interested in your work, and I value your ideas." This is a story worth telling because it demonstrates so clearly the idea of falling into children's thinking and following their lead. As you've suggested, Kelly. The story honours the children's work in such a way as to build an appreciation of the teacher's role in supporting the work. What then are the key practices that you think are integral to authentic teacher presence? Anne Pellow actually makes the teacher's role look so easy, but it's so challenging. One key practice in being present is the way in which Anne intuitively connects with the children, pinpointing the exact moment to slide into the play to begin thinking with them. Anne explains it as finding space to enter the play. She did this so beautifully, firstly by watching the children, then scooting in close and starting to sketch, and only then, when their attention was gathered, did she speak. I saw you balancing the car on the block, and just wanted to make a note about it. When I asked her about this later, how she knows just that moment to slot into the play, she suggested to me that generally she can find space at three key times: where the work has not started, where the work is just beginning, and when the work is disintegrating. Another key practice of Anne's is the intentional crafting of offerings to the children. 
And many of you who know Anne's work know that she's very clear in what she's offering, that the provisions match the energy of the idea or the work. In this case, offering drawing and mapping provisions to match the work of building and design. She's curious with the children and embraces the wonder of the moment. There is the potential for us all to dive in. I know I hijack the children's ideas almost before they're out of their mouths. But Anne didn't offer a variety of maps, blueprints for buildings, wooden traffic signs or anything else that would have pushed away from the ideas of the children. The drawing for and drawing with the children honours the children's agency and their work in a way that says, here I am, please tell me your story. I see you, I hear you and I value your ideas. And then the child responds, here is my story, please listen. Thirdly, but certainly not finally, because we could talk all day about Anne's authentic teacher presence, is the way in which Anne talks to the children. She speaks the language that the children are speaking and gives herself over to the children's thinking and reasoning. The story Anne has just told actually doesn't include very much of her own dialogue, but as she was speaking, I jotted down some of the snippets of her language. Anne is really spare in her dialogue with children. Her language is purposeful. It actually evokes deep thought in the children and opens space for their ideas, especially propelling their problem-solving and critical thinking skills. She says things such as, That's a great idea. Let me just get that idea on the drawing. And when she's talking about their problem-solving skills, she says things such as, the problem I see is this. And does that work for you? Hey, that's a solution. And that's a new idea. When revisiting the block building with Winston, she says to him, there's good news. We have the plan so we can build it again. A quiet presence, a respective space and carefully crafted offerings and the way we use language with and for the children are all key practices which are integral to authentic teacher presence. I anticipate that Anne has compelled you to begin to shift your own practices. So what have you taken away from this initial offering in terms of your teaching practice? We have just taken so much away from this experience with Anne. But I guess the very first thing we started to do in our teaching practice was to draw for and draw with the children. By having drawing materials on hand, we've been experimenting with and practicing the art of documenting the children's thinking in this way. It's given us a real insight into the children's work that we feel we might otherwise have missed simply by observing or questioning them. It's really opened a far deeper dialogue with the children and has helped build stronger connections with them as they really do seem to feel seen and heard. And the beauty of this practice is that it is just so easy to begin to implement. What's much harder and what we continue to work on is how we use language in this practice. Using language as effectively as Anne did to make visible the children's thinking 
to spark their problem solving and critical thinking is a real skill and one we are going to be working on for a very long time. Secondly, but still related to drawing with the children is the way in which Anne uses those drawings. In this story, she uses them not only with the children who were initially involved, but later with Winston as his interest was piqued. She says to him, These designs are for roads that Yune and Diane and Blair made. They show some ideas for how to build roads and stoplights and street lamps and jumps and hero garages. Not only that, but then she uses her language to hero Diane and Yune as the experts. And she suggests that Diane and Yune can do some coaching, which they happily do. The same drawings that Anne created with the children on this day were used over the next several days and weeks as the children revisited their play, revised and repaired their theories and pushed their creativity and critical thinking skills further. Finally, as a team, we're practising how we enter children's play. How do we identify that space to slide into the play? Using Anne's three suggested opportunities, where the work has not started, where the work is just beginning, and when the work is disintegrating, we're becoming more in tune with the children. And our reflections as individual educators have caused us to really look at how we're connecting with the children in a respectful way that values their space. I know I often need to fill the gap of silence with the children and jump right in, but now I try and be more aware and tune myself to see the ideas inside their work before I make any offering. During a training session with Anne Pello earlier in the year, I picked up four important reminders that help to guide my work with children using the thinking lens. They are listen deeply, be curious, embrace wonder and share the stories. And these four things are so evident in this story and really why from my point of view, this is a story worth telling. A big thank you to both Anne Pillow and Kelly Slip for being on the show. Today we discussed a story worth telling and looked at some key teaching practices that can illuminate the children's work. I'd like you to watch out for our next episode where we shall revisit the story and talk through the changing approaches to documentation using the thinking lens as a protocol for writing.